Hi everyone, this is Maria Perry from Vancouver Island. Today, I think we're going to talk about books. And not just any books. We're talking about factual information for Vancouver Island. So, I'm going to give you some really good recommendations to some really great books that have helped me navigate through nature and the land of Vancouver Island. There are some really, really great books that I think you should know about. Um, it's all depending on what it is that you like to do on the island. But today's going to be really geared towards everything nature. So foraging, um, some flora and fauna, and some walking, walking books and mushrooms. It's going to be all over the place. But I guarantee you, if you have any interest in exploring nature here on Vancouver Island, that these are really excellent books that I use all the time and I highly recommend them. So there's going to be a lot of, um, a lot of shout outs to, to some books. Let's start with, uh, one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite pastime, mushroom foraging. Now mushroom foraging is not for everybody. Uh, you go out into the forest and essentially you are searching for particular mushrooms that are edible. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that go around this though too. So number one, when you go out, you have no idea where you're going. So you really do need to be careful when you go out and uh, know where you are, track where you are, have a compass, all of these things. Oh, we'll get into that. This is not a, this is not a field guide to um, how to forage. So I'll kind of give you the breakdown. So Vancouver Island being massively high precipitation, especially in the fall, allows us to have this beautiful temperate climate uh, you know, which is considered an actual rainforest. So we are living in a temperate rainforest. What that allows is tens upon thousands of species of fungus alone. We're not talking about just, you know, plants together. We're just talking about the fungal, the fungal, the fungal world. There are so many incredible species here on the island. It would blow your mind and you would not believe that there was at least over 10,000 that they've recorded here on the island. So living in a wet, uh, mild climate allows us to have an incredible abundance of fungus and, and species altogether, plants and whatnot. So Vancouver Island, like the Pacific Northwest, and I like to kind of include, I like to include a couple of, of states in this because there's a couple of states that are really, really big on, on foraging as well, uh, including Washington and Oregon. Those are two of my favorite states period. They're all part of the Pacific Northwest. That's what they call it. So Pacific Northwest is mostly American states, Alaska, Washington, Oregon. But we are also included in there, which is kind of cool. And you know, if the world goes to hell in a handbag, then Washington, Oregon, and Alaska, and British Columbia, we can all combine and we'll call ourselves Cascadia. Cascadia is another uh, term. I'll talk about that another day. That's actually a really cool, cool fact and the origins of Cascadia. So anyways, back to back to foraging. So in the fall, comes about September, the end of at the end of the summer, uh, when the rains start to fall, we start to uh, get some beautiful edible mushrooms that grow, that can grow in abundance, depending if the climate and the temperatures and the rainfall is, uh, you know, is good. There's a couple of really good uh, mushrooms 
that are sought out every year, every fall. They become a big, big part of menus at restaurants. Uh, they're a really, really huge thing uh, just to go out and, and forage for. So the first mushroom I want to talk about, and everybody will probably know this, is chanterelles. Chanterelles are, I adore them. They're the most, to me, the most beautiful mushroom in the entire world. When I look at them, it's like looking at a, you know, a beautiful statue of a Greek goddess. I'm not joking. This is how I feel about chanterelles. Chanterelles have a couple different, uh, there's a couple different types. They are choice edible. Choice edible means absolutely delicious, top notch. So islanders are really huge on foraging this time of year. Um, you know, we all go out, we search for our little mushroom patches. What's really cool about chanterelles is they're a mushroom that does often regrow in the same areas. Hence why if you ever talk, here's the thing to remember. If you're ever interested in mushroom foraging and want, you want to get into it and you want to go with somebody who knows what they're doing, do remember that they're most likely not going to take you to their patches. It's a, a very coveted thing. You know, it's somewhat similar to maybe your fishing spots for fishermen or, you know, uh, gold. <laughs> I don't know. That's a little bit, that's, that's a stretch. But what I'm saying to you is that when you find a good chanterelle mushroom patch or any type of mushroom patch uh, spots, you have found those on your own, most likely. And, you know, when I first started foraging almost 10 years ago, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where I was going. I was going to random places, random forests, trying to look for them. You know, and for a very long time, I didn't find any chanterelles. That's how it works. You go, you find, just you keep exploring until you find these spots. And then you go back to them year after year after year, hoping that they'll produce in the same areas. So chanterelles are these beautiful funnel-like mushrooms. It's hard to explain. You'll have to look it up. Do yourself a favor. If you don't know what they are, look them up. They're absolutely beautiful. And they come in two varieties of, of, of chanterelles that you find on the island. One is white chanterelle and one is a golden. And the golden is this beautiful, bright, peachy, sort of orangish peachy color. It's absolutely gorgeous. And the white one is white. It's a white. Sometimes it's off-white, a little bit off-creamy color white. Um, they're, they're similar, and yet they don't really grow in the same patches. They are different. So white chanterelles are these... They can grow to be these massive monsters. They often um, sort of not mutate, but they get kind of big and unruly and, you know, monstrous looking. So they're not as pretty and, you know well formed as the golden chanterelle and believe it or not i'll let you in on a little secret about the white chanterelle often foragers will surpass these because what we see in this grocery store is often golden chanterelles and we don't see white chanterelles we see white chanterelles at specialty markets uh things like that but you don't usually see them in grocery stores you usually only see goldens this is a great great thing for a forager because they're often overlooked and when they grow, they grow into these big, big, dense mushrooms and they usually yield many pounds too at, at a time. So, uh, and they taste just the same and they really cook up just the same. So that's a little fun fact for you that same as Goldens, to be honest, I like them better maybe because, well, everybody's always rooting for the underdog and I would, I would call white chanterelles the underdog of the chanterelle family. So, um, one of the best, if you ever want to get involved in foraging, there are a couple things to know. 
One of the best books, this is what I learned when I first started, and this is what's passed on all the time from seasoned foragers will tell, you know, novice foragers to pick yourself up a book. It's called All That Rain Promises and More. I wish I could tell you the name of the author. I forget. He's this quirky little dude. I believe he's from Oregon. I forget his name, but just look it up. You can't miss it. It's a field guide type handbook. It's really great. It has really great uh, descriptions and some great little stories about, uh, you know, mushroom experiences from foragers. And what it does, it gives you a good rundown of the edible species and a couple of that, you know, are not edible. So this is really important. Fungus is one of those worlds that there is an abundance of poisonous and then there is a handful of edibles. So not to ever be taken for granted. If you don't know what you're looking for, if you're not a 110,000% sure, ask somebody. They're, they're, okay, here's the thing. Now, with the glory of social media, there are fantastic ID forums that are on Facebook. There's some great ones. Pacific Northwest, um, you know, mushroom identifications. Just look it up. You'll you'll find it. Now, yes, you are sort of taking the um, advice of strangers, but I think in a in a in a big group, these are big, big, big groups from all over the world. But especially people that are from the Pacific Northwest that are very seasoned will give you kind of an idea of what you're what you found. Um, there are really important things to learn about particular mushrooms you're looking for. So once you get to know those things and you know that they, they're they very specific to these mushrooms like chanterelles, then you're not going to make a mistake. But it takes time and it's definitely not um, a pastime to be overly confident. Be underly confident about it because whatever it is that you've picked is either a chanterelle or it could be something that will kill you. So remember that. So the chanterelles, there's this great mushroom, actually. This is a fun little thing. There's a great mushroom called the Matsusaki. And it's a, a mushroom also known as pine mushroom. So Matsusakis, uh, there's all certain variations of them that grow in Japan and other parts of the, of the world. Well, here's a cool fact. Back in the day, I would say probably the 80s and 90s, Matsusakis were abundant on the island and then you can still find them on the island for sure but japan had a huge demand for matsusakis so back in this period of time vancouver island was the place to get them so it was a very lucrative uh job to go forge these pine mushrooms and send them off to japan now that still happens present day i've seen it i've seen buyers where i go they buy them. They send them out to Japan. Uh, it's a really big, um, it's a big deal in Japan. So what had happened over the last couple decades is that other variations of Matsusaki showed up around the world. So now the demand was less and they were able to buy from other countries. So that sort of dropped the prices of, of the mushrooms. But back in the day, I'm not exactly sure how, how much you could sell them for, but the, you can make a pretty penny off of these mushrooms. And I mean, you still can now, but not nearly as much. The glory days of the Matsusaki uh, rush, the mushroom rush are kind of over, but you know, still, still present, you know, it's still happening every fall. So Matsusaki's are really cool. They're a mushroom, big white mushroom, that when they start growing out of the ground, when they're small, they kind of look like a little white bulb 
growing out of the ground. They're really hard to find because they're usually sort of still covered by dirt. Even as a as an adult, they're sort of still half protruding out of um, the ground. So way harder to find, way harder to, to find on the ground than chanterelles. Way harder. But the coolest part about this mushroom, and you you may have heard about this before, is they have one of the biggest features about them that cannot be that can't be mistaken for any other mushroom is that when you pluck this out of the ground it has this beautiful smell aroma of almost like Mike's red hot cinnamon it has a cinnamony smell kind of mixed in with like dirty socks and this is a very very prevalent way to, to explain what a matsusaki mushroom smells like Red hots and dirty socks. No joke. Look it up. It's a. Uh, <laughs> it's true. So, this particular mushroom um, is sought out, like I said, by the Japanese and by islanders. It's a beautiful meaty mushroom. It's not very wet, so it cooks like a steak. It's got this beautiful beefy meaty texture to it. So it's, it's a, a super popular mushroom. But it does have a very distinct flavor. It's not my favorite, but it's one of my favorites to forge. Um. It's a really cool mushroom because, like I said, when it's when it's a little when it's small and it's popping out of the ground, it has this beautiful veil, this fluffy thin veil that is wrapped around the mushroom, and it almost looks like a bulb. And those are the most desired the small babies, probably because also to transportation-wise, you want to get as fresh as possible. And there's just you know, like with a lot of foods, uh, people do like them young, young and fresh. And then with this particular mushroom. Uh, they grade them, so essentially, the, the smaller they are, they would grade A, you know, grade A mushroom. It's kind of like a, an egg or chicken or, you know, other things that we, we grade them by quality, right? So it's very similar to with a with a, with a pine mushroom. Um, the smell is just absolutely incredible. It's just one of the most beautiful things. Now, here's the thing. Unlike chanterelles, its other fellow... Uh, beautiful edible choice edible mushroom matsusakis are uh, a delight for bugs so what ends up happening is they get they get eaten a lot they get uh, a lot of little teeny tiny bugs that will crawl in and out of it this is not to say a total mushrooms compromise you can cut off those pieces but often when you get a mushroom that's also what you know gives it its value too that there's no no bugs that have eaten it Chanterelles are pretty bug resistant. Bugs don't are not a huge fan. Uh, slugs do like chanterelles, but other than that, not a lot. So that's a great part about chanterelles. Pines, not so much. They're a tasty little treat for many little teeny tiny creatures. So when you're foraging uh, and you find them, they sometimes have little teeny tiny holes in which bugs have eaten their way through these mushrooms. Like I said, you can still salvage a piece of that mushroom, but if you're trying to sell them to a buyer, they're going to probably not buy it off of you. So that's another thing to remember. But who cares about buying, selling your mushrooms? If you're just getting into mushrooms, it's the pure joy of finding these beautiful things in the ground. And while you're foraging through a forest, you're going to find so many other mushrooms that in the beginning stages of your, you know, of your foraging, you'll find so many mushrooms that you'll probably get distracted from what you're really looking for because it's a whole different world when you look down. Whole different world. It's absolutely incredible. So bring your camera because you're going to be taking so many pictures and you're going to 
you're gonna be posting them on these ID forums, trying to find out what these things are. It's truly amazing. So that's a really good book. Now, like I said, the all that rains, all that rain promises and more. Um, you can't miss it. It's got this quirky dude with a trumpet in front. He's holding a trumpet. Anyways, it's like super Oregonian. It's like keep Portland weird kind of stuff. And it's just an awesome book with awesome little stories. And it's a great little, it's not confusing, which is nice because, uh, I'm going to tell you about another book. If you really want to get into different species, it's a really great book. Um, but it's more detailed and it's not one of those ones you bring with you on a forge. It's kind of big. It's about double the size as the book I was talking about. And it's called Mushrooms and Other Fungi of North America. The most comprehensive mushroom guide with over 1,000 color photographs. So this book is by Roger Phillips. And this book goes into much greater detail um, of the, the different species. The great part about this book is that when, when you take a photo of a mushroom, you need to remember that you need to take quite a few photos. If you want to get a good idea on it, you want the cap, you want underneath it, you want to take a picture of the stem and the base. So don't be stingy on your photos, you know, don't use filters, get right in there, get a nice clear shot uh, if you want to get a good idea. So this book is really great because it does have all different variations of the mushroom, not variations, but just different like, you know, different pieces of the mushroom they cut them in half they have different they don't just have one mushroom so they have you know two or three photos to show you what it looks like in different stages of its growth which is really really important because you know you can have one photo of a mushroom and you're like oh okay but you'd be surprised how many times a mushroom will look different um as it grows you know from a from a little infant to a a grown mushroom it could be very different so this gives you um, it gives you a really good detailed idea of the species. It goes by the species, and then it gives you kind of a breakdown within those chapters. It's it's excellent. I, I highly recommend it. Um, it's about thirty bucks, and it's a fantastic book. So, uh, if you're really into the fungi world, or you're wanting to get into the fungi world, mushrooms and other fungi of North America by Roger Phillips is an excellent choice. Might be a bit confusing at first, but it's, you know, it's kind of like an encyclopedia of mushrooms and it's really fantastic. So I think that um, another really great book I want to tell you about, and I came across it, believe it or not, at a gas station up island, up in Port Alberni, which is a great book if you are just interested in the basic kind of nature of Vancouver Island. Okay, so this guy oh it is absolutely beautiful it has beautiful photos very simple to read and understand and you know it, it is a big book but you could bring this with you so it is called the flora and fauna of coastal british columbia and the pacific northwest it's by an author uh, named colin barner and it sections itself off into four subsections here so we have we have ocean we have the ocean we have birds we have plants and we have fungus so it's a really really excellent book oh we also have land mammals there's a lot of stuff in here I've not really prepared myself here but as I'm flipping through it 
it's really great. So you have the animals, land animals, and then you have ocean animals, and then you have plants, trees, mushrooms. It's rad. So, Flora and Fauna of Coastal British Columbia in the Pacific Northwest by Colin Varner. Excellent book. You could probably find it at most like outdoor stores. I, it's, I don't know, let's just see here. It's by Heritage House Publishing. It was a $40 book, but worth every penny. To be honest, this is a really, really great book. If you have kids and, uh, or just for yourself, because it really goes through some, you know, really good species and stuff on the island. It's a really good representation of the island without getting too, you know, biology class like, if that makes any sense. You know, something that's for for the general population that would like to learn about the island and all of its creatures and plants and fungus. So that is kind of covering plants as well. There's also a couple other plant books I wanted to talk about too, but they are a little bit more in detail. Um, so they do get really specific and it's kind of like an encyclopedia, but I'll tell you something. This is one of the greatest books I've ever got. It was a gift. And if you are ever up in Comox, not Comox, sorry, Arrington, there is a wonderful wildlife shelter up there. It is uh, North Island Wildlife Recovery Center. And they have a really great, um, it's a really great establishment that has uh, birds of prey it has some bears it's just a really wonderfully ran uh, place well in their gift shop they have a really good selection of island books books on plants mushrooms animals it's really great and these are all donated books so it is a great place to get your books because all of their proceeds go to this particular uh, rescue center which is just an excellent excellent place it's absolutely beautiful and they really take care of their animals there. So, uh, so you want a plant Bible? I'm going to give you a plant Bible. This is going to be real. Like, this is it. Look no further if you want something detailed, like really detailed. Okay. So, this is the newest edition. It's the Revised Plants of the Pacific Northwest Coast. Washington, Oregon, British Columbia, and Alaska. Cascadia. <laughs> So, uh, it is by authors Pojar and McKinnon. It is a Lone Pine publishing book. And it is about $30. And worth every single penny. I pay $50 for this thing. No joke. Um, I would hope it was in $50. But I got it as a gift. So, I was actually I feel very fortunate um, getting this as a gift. Because it will always remind me of my friend. And uh, she's also a big uh, plant person. And she works in environmental studies. So... Uh, it was very suiting. Anyways, this book is like a, it is, everything is sectioned off into uh, lily families, the shrub family, uh, tree families, aquatic families, you know, wintergreen families, all of these different families are all sectioned off. It's such a fantastic book. It gives you great detail of uh, its leaves, flowers, the fruiting, the ecology of it, and then a bunch of notes. A lot of the notes have to do with what the plants were used for from First Nations and, um, you know, things like that. So it's a really great book. Uh, it gives you scientific names and it gives you a couple photos of each plant and it's excellent. It also has some really cool uh, pages here where it explains to you different names of like the shapes of leaves. 
uh, that will help you ID plants. And this is so crazy because I'm like, I didn't know there was names of like leaves have different names. There totally is. Different shapes have different different names. And that's a really rad, rad thing to know. Uh, because when you're out with your friends on a nature walk, you could start nerding out and you're gonna look freaking cool because you're gonna know that's a blah 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 leaf and that belongs to this type of family. So anyways, I don't know. I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna if I'm gonna make myself look good, I at least like to uh, be a person that's able to teach somebody something cool. You know, like this is called a blah blah plant and these berries are were used for this and that by the First Nations. I don't know, that's just me. But we live amongst this land that has such a beautiful abundance of plant life and animal life, fungus life and ocean life. How are we to just keep going uh, our daily life without asking these questions? I actually did this with a friend the other day. I was on a walk at Elk Lake and Elk Lake is a really great place. It has so many different plant and animal life along this trail. It's 10 kilometers. It's just this wonderful, wonderful walk that gives you uh, so much variety as you walk and I took a picture of this bush that had these beautiful bright orange flowers and I didn't know what it was and I happened to be at her house and she had a, a vase with some wildflowers and then this one purple plant that kind of looked like a pom-pom it was a flower and she had it in a vase and she goes I don't know what this is I gotta find out what it is I said well I'll tell you what here's a fun little thing to do with your friends you take a picture of a plant or something that you've found that you don't know what it is. They do the same and you swap and you do your research uh, no matter what that looks like. Even if it's you're in, you're calling into Google, Hey Google, can you tell me about a f ah! No, I don't need you right now, Google. I was just joking. I was just trying to explain something. Anyways. However that looks, whether or not you're looking in a plant book or you're asking Google, hopefully he doesn't pick that up, okay? They're always listening. Um, then you find out information on that plant and it was cool. She found out what this orange, beautiful orange flower was, it was a honeysuckle bush. And I found out what this puffy pom-pom like flower was. It was called an allium, also known as a purple sensation, which is part of the onion family. Really weird. Anyways, not wild, not a wild one. Uh, so hers wasn't wild. It was harder to find because I couldn't find it in my plant book. But she found my honeysuckle bush that I had found. So that's a fun thing to do too. It's it's fun. It's nerdy. But it's you're learning what's around you. Instead of, hey, look at that pretty flower. Look at that cool mushroom. I don't know about you, but like when you live in such a beautiful place and you see all these things on a daily basis, aren't you ever curious of what they are? They have names too, you know. <laughs> Anyways... This sort of wraps up my books for Vancouver Island. Oh, before I forget, ah, before I forget, let's back that up. Pretend I never said that. Because alongside going to look, you know, explore all of this nature, you also need to know where to go. So I have a really good block of hiking books and I'm going to tell you the names of them because this author has got it in the bag. He has the best books. Okay, here we go. Want to know where to go? You're going to go pick yourself up some really great books called Hiking Trails. And Hiking Trails is by an author named Theo Dombrowski. And 
I'm sure he's had some help from his friends, and I believe he does include them in his book. However, he has the absolute most best hiking books you can find. Very explanatory. They include topographical maps. They explain to you about the trails you're going to, how to get there, how hard they are, you know, um, you know, how difficult they are because no trails are equal. And I'll tell you that if you're not ready for that stuff, it can be a real long hike. Uh, it tells you what type of flora and fauna you'll find along the way. Some, some warnings about the area, you know, if there's, you know, degradation of the trails or wildlife that are known to be in that area or plants that are, you know, have, that'll give you a bad reaction on your skin. He's got all of this in here and it's really, really, really good. It sometimes has a little bit of history as well about the, about the trail. So again, hiking trails. So he's got hiking trails for, um, South Central Vancouver Island in the Gulf Islands. He's got one for North Vancouver Island in the Strathcona Park. Uh, he also has a really good one specifically for seaside walks on Vancouver Island. So ocean walking. These, these books are like 20, 20 bucks, under $20. They're excellent. They're absolutely excellent. I've used them many times. And you know what's really cool is that you could live here all your life and not know about these beautiful places to go hiking. It's just incredible. I've learned so many cool little places that I'm like, I had no idea they existed. And the only way to find out, leave it to the experts that have mapped out all these beautiful trails and places to go. Leave it to them. It takes a guesswork out of where to go. Um, and there's something really cool about having a book and not just looking on Google um, because they do offer you some great information. And you also have a handbook too. Um, tells you the length of the trails as well. So you know how long it possibly will take you or it has maps. It's, it's all you need to know. It's a, they're incredible. They're like the Bible of hiking trails. So yes, Hiking Trails by Theo Dombrowski. Also, Seaside Walks on Vancouver Island by Theo Dombrowski. Um, and again, they're sectioned off Southern Vancouver Island, Central and North, and the Gulf Islands. So it kind of sections all those things off. So it's all depending on where you are or where you want to go. Um, excellent books. All of these books are... I don't have any fiction. I think I have one book... Um, one novel a friend gave me and um, I haven't read it yet. She gave it to me about two years ago. So needless to say, my books are flora, fauna, trails, languages, a couple psychology books. That's about it. So, oh, okay. Totally forgot. You also want to know a couple cool fun facts about Vancouver Island. Since you live here, if you want to know a little bit of history about Vancouver Island, there is this really great book called Vancouver Island Book of Everything. Everything you wanted to know about Vancouver Island and we're going to ask anyway. It's a small little book. It'll cost you about 15 bucks, but it's excellent. It has excellent sections about the history and the climate and a really cool section about why places are named, who are how did these places get names like Lukulit and you know Saturna Island and Souk? A lot of these places are actually named after First Nations um, people, but also a lot of explorers. And um, you kind of understand now why places like Cortez and Galliano sound so Latin. Well, because they were named after Latin explorers. So that being said, it's a really great book. I highly recommend it. Super interesting. There's so many things about this that you're like. Wow, I didn't know that. And 
it's just a really great read. It has a lot of really good fun facts about Vancouver Island. Again, it's called the Vancouver Island Book of Everything. Uh, it's by Peter Grant, Suzanne Morfitt, and Diane Selkirk. Excellent book. Highly recommend it if you are wanting to know a little bit about the place that you live. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening. I think I'm going to wrap it up, as I've probably repeated myself millions of times. Thanks for sticking into the first podcast episode with Maria here on Vancouver Island telling you about some great books um, about nature and I'll see you guys next time who knows what the next subject will be I have no idea but it's going to be just as random as my brain so thank you for listening take care until next time